0: In May of 2003, the Christian group called Mercy Me recorded a song written by a man named Bart Millard called, I Can Only Imagine. I bet most of you have heard that numerous times. It talks about the desire of an individual wanting to know what it's going to be like when he gets to see the Lord. When he gets to heaven. I can only imagine what it will be on that day. Perhaps it will be like this. And perhaps I won't be able to stand in his presence. And so on. That's the message of the song. But the thing that sticks out to me related to that song as an introduction. To what I'm going to be sharing today is this. Each of us have the ability to imagine things. It's God given. God has given every one of us an imagination. It's part of the soul, part of the inner person that exists in you. Whether you're redeemed or not, you can imagine things. You can have an idea, you can have a vision of, you can have an expectation of certain things that you are not able to see with your natural eyes. Now, for a Christian, that imagination ought to be grounded on the Word of God. Because, you see, an imagination that is not grounded on the Word of God can imagine evil things as well as good things. So you can imagine, well, you know, I'm going to break into First National Bank, and this is how it's going to be. And you can set up a whole scenario in your mind that's certainly not biblically based. So you can use your imagination in an improper way or we can use it in a good way. And for us to properly use it as God has given us the privilege to is to base that imagination on the Word of God. So let me give you a definition, a short definition of what the ability to imagine is really like. It is simply the ability to see with the mind what you cannot see with the eyes. The ability to see with the mind what you cannot see with the eyes. Now, let me give you an illustration how to do that. Let's suppose today, and there may be people here that this is reality too, today you are experiencing horrific pain in your body. Or maybe you've got a situation in your family or at work that you're dealing with that you simply do not know how to handle it or what the answer is. That's the situation. But because you know scriptural promises, for example, by His stripes I'm healed, and scriptures related to healing, then you can begin to declare your faith in God based on those promises to the point those promises can become such a part of you that you believe what they say in a greater way than you believe the pain that's going through your body. Or the situation that you're facing. That you do not, with these natural understanding, with your natural eyes, you cannot comprehend how that possibly can work out. But because you believe greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, and that God is in charge of my life and my circumstances, and he's already provided me the victory in that, you can believe those promises to such a degree that with your imagination you can see it taken care of. All right? How does that relate to faith? Well, I'll come to that later. My point at this thing is, you have the ability to see with the mind, which is a part of the soul realm, mind, will, and emotions, see with the mind things that God has promised you that your eyes cannot see at this present time. Do you know the Scriptures say, I believe it's at least in three or four places, said the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I believe it is, he said we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, we have to have the ability to see and believe things that are not yet seen with natural eyes that you can't touch with the five senses yet, but yet they are real. They are real. Now, one of the problems that I see with myself and perhaps others as well is we only believe reality is what the five senses tell us. And that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. The, the, The five senses aren't bad, but to only believe what the five senses tell you is bad. Because then we negate to ourselves... All these wonderful things that God has in the supernatural realm that He is waiting for us to cooperate with Him so that He can manifest them in our world today. Alright? So, let me, let's let do a little illustration here. I'm going to tell you to imagine something and I want you to do it very quickly. Imagine a dog. Alright? How many of you saw a dog in your mind? Okay, the rest of you were asleep. (laughs) All right, let's do it again for those that weren't awake at that point. Let's imagine a black, large dog. All right? You see a black, large dog up here. All right? You see, you have the ability to do that. Now, you could say, let's imagine a black, large Labrador dog. Or let's imagine... A St. Bernard or a Chihuahua. See, you have the ability, based on information, you have the ability to come up and do that. Why? Because you've seen pictures or you've actually had one and you've been around dogs like that. And so that is implanted in your memory. Are you aware that most of your memory is stored by pictures or as pictures? Most of your memory is stored as pictures. In fact, there are certain a lot of memorization programs out there that are available to people where you can learn how to remember things easier. And almost every one of them teach you how to see something as a picture. And if you see it as a picture, then all the things around it get connected to that picture. And later, you can bring that event or that thing back to mind. And you'll not only remember it, but you may remember what you wore that day that that happened. Some people say they even remember what certain smells that occurred when that particular thing happened. You remember the picture, but there's these pieces of information that get attached to that memory. See, so when I say a black dog, maybe you had a black dog. Maybe you've seen pictures of a big lab that's black, or a chihuahua. See the point? You have the ability to do that. Now, let's imagine something else. Heaven. Imagine something about heaven. Probably more limited than a black dog. You know why it is? You haven't been there yet just like that song was a reality, I can only imagine what it's going to be. If I'm there, I don't have to imagine it anymore. I only need to imagine it when I'm not there. And I haven't seen it. We have a few scriptures in the Bible that talk about some things like the new Jerusalem, and we're citizens of heaven, and There will be no night there, there will be no crying, there will be no sickness, there will be no pain, there will be no separation, and the list goes on. We can imagine that, but how it's all going to fit together and work out, we don't know yet because we've never experienced it yet. Now, the fact that we've never experienced it does not mean it's not real, right? We have a source of information, namely the Word of God, that says it is real, that heaven is a reality. Scripture actually says in the book of Philippians chapter 3, I believe it's verse 20 and 21, that says we, are, we have our citizenship in heaven. That's where we're from. That's where our citizenship is. Because Jesus is Lord, we are a citizen of heaven. Thought I, was, I thought I was a citizen of the United States. Yeah, we are. That's secondary. A more important one is I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just down here temporarily. I'm going to be there for eternity. That's a far greater citizenship to have than some earthly citizenship, although they may have their place and be good. But we are citizens of heaven if you know Jesus Christ. So the point is, you and I have the ability to imagine things. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says this about faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, you have been given faith as a believer. Within your being, your inner being, you have the ability to exercise faith, that is, to believe something is real, even though the five senses cannot see it. You have the ability as a believer. It's called faith. See, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. That's what Scripture says. That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Both the grace and the faith are gifts. When you became a believer, he gave you a gift of grace and he gave you a gift of faith and now you have the ability to believe what the five senses can't tell you. Okay. Now, what does that have to do with this? Well, hang loose. I'm going to see more of it. But another scripture says, Proverbs 29:18, where there is no vision or revelation, the people perish or NIV says cast off restraint. We need to have a vision or revelation of truth. That is the truth of the word of God. And with that revelation, with that vision, then we can grab a hold of and see manifested what it promises. See, I believe that one day after this life is over for me, that I have a home waiting for me in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to go back and prepare in my Father's mansion. I'm going to prepare a mansion for you or a room for you. Yeah, I haven't seen that mansion. I haven't seen that room. I don't know what it looks like, but I believe what Jesus said in John 14 is a reality. And I'm expecting to have it. And if I go there and I don't have one, I'm going to be disappointed. If He gives my room to somebody else, I'm going to have a complaint. But you know I'm not concerned about that because I know he's got one. They're not going to be any ones there. Not going to be any crowded ones there. So well, I, this guy showed up and I didn't know he was coming. So he's going to have to bunk with you. No. No, no. I don't believe that. I believe he's got a room for everybody. You know why? Because he knows every, everybody who's coming. Right. But so we can believe it simply because the Word of God says it. Where there's no vision or revelation, the people perish or cast off restraint. So we can say it like this. Vision is an image produced in your imagination. The vision, first you got the imagination because you're, you're seeing what Scripture says, the promises of God, and you're saying, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I can see that. Now, we're not seeing it with our five senses, but I can see that with my mind, with my renewed thinking. I can see that as real. Now, I've got a revelation or I've got a vision. So vision is produced in the part of you of an imagination. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart so is he. So you see, folks, it's important what you think in your heart. It's important what you think between the ears? Yes, it is. Absolutely. That's why we need to renew this. But it's important what you think at your innermost being. What you really think. You ever had anybody tell you or say this to you? Just tell me what you really think. Now, I don't advocate saying that to some people. Because they might tell you something you don't want to hear. But you know, they're... they're, they're what that really does, it, it lets you or that person really express what's on the really on the inside of you. Why, why? Why is that necessary? Because sometimes we speak superficially. We speak superficially. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. On the inside, they're dying. They're hurting so bad they can hardly exist. But they answer, "How are you?" Oh, I'm doing fine. On the other hand, if you ask somebody, some people, how they are. Just expect to be there 30, 45 minutes because they're going to tell you every hangnail they ever had for the last 47 years. That's why some people, you don't want to ask that. Say, God bless you, good to see you, and keep walking. So, see, you have an ability to see something that the mind, that is these eyes, the five senses cannot behold. Now let me show you how to use this most productively. You and I need to begin to see ourselves as a child of God. We just sing about it. Declarations. No more fear. We've been redeemed. We're children of God. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. And begin to see yourself based on those promises. So well, I've been a Christian all these years. Don't I automatically do that? Answer, no. No, sometimes we don't. Well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, yes, you were saved by grace. But if you've been saved by grace, you're not an old sinner. I don't care how old you are, you're not an old sinner. You're a believer. You're a child of God. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. The greater one lives in you. We need to see ourselves based on... Scriptures. See yourself healed. See yourself financially blessed. See yourself ministering to and praying for other people and seeing them get well. You need to see that before you do that. By that I mean you need to see it with your imagination, with the eye of faith, because of the promises of the Word of God. Now, if you're trying to base your imagination on anything else other than the promises, you can't be guaranteed success. You know why? Because the promises of God. God's Word is that which is eternal. He, he said, the Word of God says, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my Word will not pass away. So anything of this world system is subject to being decayed and passing away. But if you base your imagination based on what the Word of God says, you'll see success. See yourself saved. See yourself healed. See yourself financially blessed. See yourself ministering to people and seeing them healed, delivered, and set free. Because, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, you're a new creation in Christ. I, you as believers, are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. One of the problems that we have as believers when we don't walk in victory consistently is because we keep believing the accusations of the enemy and what he interjects into this brain up here. I don't know about you, but I've had this thought come numerous times. And the thought be something, some failure or mistake that I made years ago. Something that I've already repented of or turned from. And yet I get that thought. Well, you, you can't do this, you can't do that. Because see, you're not worthy. Don't you remember when? And let me suggest to you, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's, right. that's the enemy of your soul doing that. He's trying to discourage you, defeat you, put you down to such a degree you'd have to reach up to touch the bottom. That's what he's trying to do. See, if you've repented of it, it don't exist. It did exist, but in the mind of God, it don't exist. And our position is, it don't exist. How dare me bring up something that God has forgiven me for and talk about it as if it were a reality. If God were speaking to me, he would say, I don't know what you're talking about. Because it don't exist. It's cast behind his back. It's put in the bottom of the sea. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. It don't exist. Now if it hadn't been repented of, you're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. But if you've repented of it, truly, you've turned from it, it's gone. It don't exist. And it only takes you a few seconds to repent. Here's a statement that I got from a friend of mine, Andrew Womack. Andrew said this, We deal in things unseen all the time. We believe in a God and heaven that we've not seen. We stake our eternity on the words of an ancient book. We believe a man that we've never met paid the price for our sins 2,000 years ago before we were born. That pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? And we believe that. Why? Because this book gives us that understanding. How can we change from the way that we are? How can we have a more productive imagination? How can we in this new year see things that God wants to do in and with and through? How can we do that? Romans 12 2, familiar scripture. Do not be conformed to this world. And he addressed that to believers. When you and I qualify. You do not be conformed To this world system. But you be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove. By personal experience. That's commentary. That you may prove the good. The perfect. Will of God. The good. The well. The perfect will of God. By transforming your mind. That's where the scripture comes in. You have to do that. Before your imagination will be matured enough so that it becomes reality in outward life. See, until we do that, till we are assured of what the promises of God say, we'll face circumstances and never be able to face them with boldness because we don't know for sure if God will do it or not. Maybe the, just as, you know, this is one of those uh, hit and miss situations well, I know that God would do it for such and such person, someone we hold in high esteem. Well, He would do it for them because of who they were. No, no. It's not who you were, it's who Jesus is and who He is in you. That's the reason God keeps His Word to you. See? So, we have to be convinced of what the Word says. There's a passage in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 30 to, through 33. Uh, Joshua had sent, or, or Moses had sent Joshua and Caleb and some of the others uh, out to spy out the land, the land of Cana. You remember he sent 12, one from each of the 12 tribes. He said, go out and tell me about the land, who dwells there, wild animals there, what fruits and produce is able to be grown there. Things of that nature, just natural things that they need to know about. So he sent them out. They went out. And when they came back, 10 out of the 12 says, "Why, it's a huge land. It's a very prosperous land. But we saw giants there. Now, stop there a minute. Was what they said actually true? Yes, it was. It's 100% true. It was a prosperous land. There were giants there. And they then said, but we can't go in and take it because we were like grasshoppers in their sight, in our sight. And that was the reason the whole nation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died out. God couldn't take those people into the promised land because they didn't know reality from His perspective. They had a vision of themselves being grasshoppers compared to these giants 9, 10, 12 feet tall. You say, well, they were. Yeah, but you see, that's not the deal. You may be facing a giant that's 20 feet tall in your life. In other words, it's a major situation. But guess what? You're not there by yourself. Doesn't the scripture say greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Many promises, see? So they thought they were going to have to defeat the giants and the land and conquer it on their own. What they failed to realize is the God who had brought them thus far is the same God that's going to be with them through the land as they conquer and he did later. So the point is, it's how you see God, and it's how you see yourself. Well, I'm just a little grasshopper. I don't mount to much. And there's truth to that, to some degree. Yeah, compared to God, yeah, we, we're just his children. But we're not children left alone. We're his children that he lives in, works with, and works through. We can choose to be like Those ten tribes, or ten spies of the ten tribes, or we can be like Caleb and Joshua, the two. They said, we can do it. Come on, let's go. We can do it. Why? Because our God said, I've given you the land. But those ten people said, no, we can't do it. We're grasshoppers. Two said, we can do it, because God gave us the promise. I won't be like those two. How about you? I want to face life and difficulties and problems like those two. Yes, there's giants. Yes, there's wild animals in the land of promises. But greater is He that is with us and in us. So we need our mind renewed in the promises of God. It will activate our imagination. It will create vision which brings forth hope. And hope is the foundation of faith. Remember Hebrews 11.1. Now, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, you've got to have hope before you can have faith. In other words, you've got to have expectation. Well, you don't just suddenly get expectation unless God gives you a supernatural gift of faith, which kind of comes and goes and manifests maybe sometime and sometime doesn't. But normally, you're living by faith that you possess, given to you by God, day by day, based on the promises of the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence, the proof of things not seen. One last scripture, John 14, 12, Jesus said this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Jesus said that to his disciples. He says that to you and me as his disciples today. He says, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. I'm not concerned about what the greater works are. I think he's referring probably not just to greater works as far as the quality and powerfulness of the work, but the fact that He was one person, and now we're millions of people. Greater number of people doing the work assigned to them by Father God. We can do that just like He did. One last illustration. There was a prophet called Elijah in the Old Testament. Great man, great prophet. In 1 Kings chapter 18 he faced 850 false prophets by himself. He put them to the test. God answered his, his prayer for, to send a fire from God and lap up the, the sacrifices and the water in the trenches and you know all of that. And after God manifested himself, the prophet Elijah took a sword and went out and killed all 850 of them. Hallelujah to God. I want to get along with that fella. But next day shortly thereafter Ahab's wife, the queen Jezebel and there's always a Jezebel spirit somewhere around and I'm not saying anything negative about females Okay, I'm talking about this type of spirit that counteracts and comes against faith in the heart of a believer. Jezebel said I will do to you by this time tomorrow what you did to them. This mighty man of God who faced them, 850 prophets, called down fire from God, got fearful of what Jezebel said. And the Bible said he ran. That's 1 Kings chapter 19. I believe it's verse 4. And then he went before God. And he says, God, it's enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Wait a minute, Elijah. You faced 850 false prophets and killed them after you saw a manifestation from God. And this one woman said something. She made a threat against you and you turned tail and run. It's easy to criticize Elijah. I don't know about you, but I've been Elijah before. In the sense that I said, well, I don't want to handle that. No, no, no. I I don't think I have the ministry for that anymore. Here, you take this. (laughs) See, that same spirit is working in our day. And it's the spirit that tries to talk us out of the things of God. The plain statements of Scripture. I'm alone. They're trying to take my life. What happened to him? Well, he got out, sat under a broom tree, and made his complaint to God. Say, what did God do? Was He said, oh, you're poor prophet. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'll take better care of you next time. He didn't do any of that. He sent an angel. And that angel gave him something to eat, and he went to sleep and took a nap. Sometime later the angel came back, woke him up, fed him again, and he goes and takes another nap. I'm talking about a supernatural angel from God. And the angel told him as a messenger from Father God said, You now arise and you go in the strength of this food and this sleep for 40 days to a particular place. And I've got an assignment for you. I've got, you want to appoint this king, you're going to appoint a prophet, you're going to told him what he was must now do. My point is this. If you feel like you're in the place like Elijah was in, in the sense that you are tired, worn out, defeated, let me suggest something for you. While you're feeling that way, don't make any major decisions. Because I will guarantee you most of them will be wrong. They will be decisions that you make based on your body and your emotions. That's good preaching, folks. Don't make any major decisions like that. You need to get some rest, get some sleep, just from natural things. So that don't sound very spiritual, I know. Because we've separated the natural and the spiritual so far apart we can't recognize them at the same time, hardly. He needed to get some rest, man. He killed 850 false prophets the day before. I'd say the brother needs some rest. (laughs) He probably hadn't eaten in no telling how many hours. He's probably hungry. He needs some sleep. You know, when you get good sleep, your body recuperates. Your body starts mending itself. Some people are suffering from something so awful, and that is the lack of sleep. I don't have that problem. I sleep well all the time. I have this little switch right here. I just turn it off and go to sleep. My wife hasn't found that switch yet. I've been trying to tell her where it's at for 50 years. She hasn't found it yet. One time she said to me, I don't understand how you can just lay down and go to sleep. I don't know, but I just, that's it. My point is lots of us need physical rest. Then we need an encounter with God. He did what he could do. Then he needed an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And then when he got over in this cave, when the Lord then spoke to him himself and gave him a new assignment. Go anoint this guy king. Go anoint this prophet in your your stead. And then go do this. As a governor, I think it was. My point is, what do you do when you get to that place? Do like Elijah. Seek God. Stand on His Word. Declare His promises. Get it in you to the point that it's a reality to you. You know it as much as you know anything from the natural realm. Perhaps even better. You know, you can, in that condition, you cannot be defeated. So well, uh, Can I ever get to the place where the devil don't attack? Nope, not this side of a glorified body. No, you'll never get there. Because he's going to attack all the time. How do I know that? Jesus was attacked by Satan himself. He had no sin in him. He had no disobedience in him. Satan attacked him, brought temptations three times against him. And he answered every time, it is written, it is written, it is written. And that's what you and I should use to answer. Every attack of the enemy, it is written, it is written, it is written. Now, you will be attacked, but you always win. So how long do I stand? You stand until you win. And having done all to stand, give up and quit and go home. No, it doesn't say that. And having done all to stand, stand. Stand. We fight till we win. We fight till we win. What do you mean fight? I mean standing on the Word. Believe in God. Seeing it. I want to see myself doing that. Now, can you get the wrong image? You surely can. You sure can. Your imagination can be from a purely soulish, fleshly motivation, or it can be based on the scripture. I've told this many times, but it fits here, and I'll tell it again. I grew up, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. I wanted to play center field for the New York Yankees. Mickey Mantle was going to get old and have to leave, and I wanted to take his place. Was, we're talking about in the early 60's I wanted to take his place in New York playing for the Yankees Now I had neither the opportunity and certainly not the ability but you know I still had a dream of doing that but that was not a God given one that was one of me I wanted to do that God never told me to do that in 1965 I was going to Bible college. And I was praying one day. I've been in Bible classes hours, day after day after day. And you know, when you're not really into tune, you're just kind of halfway there. You're there in body only, but not really in mind and spirit. You can come up with a whole lot of ideas. That's where you kind of need to make sure it's really God speaking to you on the inside. So one day I felt like God spoke to me and said, I've called you into the ministry. I want you to preach and teach my word. I rebuke you, devil. You know why? Because I had an uncle that was a pastor. I had a brother-in-law that was a pastor. I had a brother that was a pastor. I had a pastor at the church I went to. And I certainly did not want to be like any of them. And I had no desire to do that. But I did have a desire to be a center fielder for the New York Yankees. Which was never going to happen. But God called me to do this. Do you know what I had to do? I finally had to get to the place to where I said, yes, Lord. I choose your will. I don't want to do it. I'm doing it out of obedience. But I'm going to do it, bless God. You know, sometimes you have to be hard-headed as, as it comes in uh, and it relates to doing the will of God. Because the flesh, the world, things around you would try to talk you out of what God said. Right. There have been several times in these 54 plus years that I've been pastoring that I felt like quitting. You say, really? Yeah. Usually about once a week. If I moved every time I felt like moving, I'd be in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean about now. Say, so, well, why would you feel that way? Because of circumstances. But I am hard-headed enough. I will not quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep doing what he, I know He's called me to do until the day I leave this earth. Why? Because I know that I know that I know That I'm sure of. And I know I know. What he said. So you just keep doing it. And so those days when things aren't going the way I want them to go. Yep. That sure didn't turn out well did it? Nope. It didn't. Bless God. I'm going on. I'm not quitting. I will not give up. I will not die prematurely. I will not be defeated. Because greater is he that's in me with me than that which is in the world. Take that attitude and you can't lose.